today. We have, we have with us today David Sadaka. David is with Chosen People's Ministries. David has been with us numerous times through the years, and six times. And David and his dear wife Julia are dear friends. Uh, we, we have a ball. It's just good to get together. Picked him up last night up in Jackson at the airport and just reacquainted and get the fellowship together, and it's just a joy. And David with, is with us today and tomorrow. He, speak, he spoke already in Sunday school. If you missed it, uh, I don't know if they recorded it. It was good on the intertestamental period, and it was very instructive. He's going to be preaching to us today on the Fall Feast of Israel, and um, I'm sure I told him he is free to go off script and talk to us today about what's going on today in Israel. And um, we need to be in prayer for the nation of Israel and for God's chosen people, all the things that are happening there. So I know he'll be dealing some with that. And then tomorrow night, okay, so we're doing this morning, worship service, and then tomorrow night, you're all coming back, right, at 7 o'clock. And this will be, David uh, teaches in Jerusalem at Hebrew University. He teaches on the subject of biblical archaeology. And so what he's going to be doing for us tomorrow night is taking all that stuff and um, helping us understand the reliability of Scripture and how that is related to biblical archaeology. And um, so this is great information for you that will help you build a firm, solid foundation of an apologetic for your faith to be able to really defend the reliability of Scripture. So this is an important class. I hope you can come, that you can take it in. We're not going to do a lot of other stuff. There's not going to be singing and announcements and listen to me yak yakking on. It's just going to be David, and he'll take the time, and I'm sure he'll have time for questions and answers and all that as well. Look forward to that. Good morning again. Good to see you all. It's been uh, quite a while that since I was able to be with you. Uh, I was planning to be here, then COVID hit, then uh, we had to postpone, I had surgery, so on and so forth. By, by God's grace, I'm able to be back here with you and enjoy your fellowship. Remember, first time I came here, uh, Amy and I were preparing to do the Passover, just doing matzo ball soup in the kitchen there. We had so much fun, and I always enjoy being here on Every time I have a reason or an excuse, I try to make it here. Wasn't able to. Uh, been traveling like crazy over the last uh, few few weeks, actually. Starting in July 4th, I left for Europe, Israel. I had the, the meeting of the Los Angeles Foundation on Evangelism. I'm a member of the executive committee of that. And it was in Krakow. And then I went to Auschwitz. Horrible place. Had the gates of hell, I call it. Uh, then I went to visit our ministry throughout Europe. And then I went back to Israel, where I had a conference there. I teach at the Hebrew University in Israel. And uh, I, my title is Permanent Resident Scholar. And I don't know whether I'm supposed to go there in a few weeks. I don't know whether we're going to be having school or not. You know the events that are taking place in Israel right now. Uh, you know, we just follow the news and my wife is in touch with our, we have 33 full-time missionaries, all Israeli-born, all serving in the military. 
half of them have already been called and they are serving, they are already uh, uh, enlisted again. One of, uh, one of, son of one of our missionaries, we got the email this morning that he's in the, one of the battalions that is marching into Gaza itself, one of the infantry, which is the most dangerous place to go. It's not from an airplane or a helicopter, but you've got to go on foot, house by house, in Gaza itself. And you know this story. You know what's happened. The enemies of Israel will try to destroy it again. But he who watches Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And he will let. He will not let Israel succumb. But we need to be in prayer. Our Jewish believers there are fighting for their, you know, for their state, the country that they love. Uh, my, I have a lot of my family in Israel, unsaved Jews. None of my family in Israel has, has made peace with Jesus yet. Yet, I have my nephews and sons and who are fighting right now. So keep them in your prayers, okay? <clears throat> God is watching over them. I have no doubt about it. But we need to intercede. The Bible says, he, you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's a commandment from God. One thing I will ask you to do, uh, I, want, I want to keep in touch with you. And uh, I have a brochure that you will have, you will get it in the, can I, can, can I have that? Please, Tim, thank you. Sorry. Uh, I want to keep in touch with you. Another way, uh, I know some of you already do, but you have, in the back, there's a brochure like this. And this allows you to, oh, this allows you to keep in touch with me and me to keep in touch with you. And this is what you're going to do. In the way out, when you see how this has a form, you pull it out, write your name, your address, your email, and I keep you posted. And I send every month a letter. It's not written by my staff or anyone but me. And I need your prayers as I will be traveling again, uh, taking a short break. In three weeks, I go to preach in Latin America. Then I go again to, if God wills, I got to go to Israel. And uh, then I'm going to Ukraine again, another hot spot. Uh, we have eight congregations of Jewish believers in Ukraine. Two of them have been not only demolished and destroyed in the recent war. So in January, at the end of January, I will be traveling to that region. And I need your prayers that God will... I, I, I know he's going to protect me and nothing will happen to me. That is not in his will. But also pray. Don't forget to pray for the conflict that is going on in in Ukraine, I was in Ukraine just the week before the invasion, and uh, we have a beautiful ministry in in Ukraine. And keep on praying for the salvation of the Jewish people in Ukraine, in Israel, in the United States, wherever you are. And don't tell me there are not Jewish people here in this area because there are. And if you have any doubts, uh, it's, I think last time I was here, I saw the Chabad House in Jackson Hole. And Chabad House is a, a Jewish organization to bring Jews back to Judaism. So if there is a mission of Jews to bring Jews to bring back to Judaism, there are Jews here, okay? So pray for them. They need Jesus. There is no back door into heaven except through Jesus our Lord. It's no coincidence that the attack took place on the last day of the greatest day 
of the Feast of Tabernacles. Exactly 50 years ago, the enemies of Israel invaded on Yom Kippur. Now they invaded yet on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. When the Jewish people were gathering, celebrating the joy of having the Bible. It's called the Simcha Torah. We close the cycle of the fall feasts by praising God for the Bible. And I saw some pictures that were posted of Israeli soldiers carrying a Torah, rejoicing as they were marching into battle. So pray that they will see in those Torah scrolls the light of Jesus himself. So, uh, before even this crisis started, I wanted to share with you uh, some thoughts about the false feast of Israel. Because yesterday was the last and the greatest day of the cycle of the fall feasts of Israel. Yesterday was the ending of the Feast of Tabernacles. But the Feast of Tabernacles has to be taken in conjunction with other feasts. And don't go to the... Okay. Why do Jewish people keep the holidays? Because God commanded to do so. And it is that that throughout the ages, for 2,000 years, when the people of Israel were scattered throughout the nation, it was the festivals that have preserved the Jewish people. Like the Sabbath maintains the unity of Israel, scattered around the world. The holy days have also preserved Israel as a nation. Jesus observed all these holy days. These are not the Jewish holidays, but these are the biblical holidays. And we see in all the Gospels that Jesus maintained and he kept like a good Jew he was. The early believers observed that. Passover, uh, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. And the early church, we know that they maintained this because the question arises, okay, David, that's good for you, you are a Jew, but should non-Jews uh, maintain these holidays? Well, I'm glad that you read the passage that you read uh, because it says there that all these are pictures of who Jesus is. And all these festivals came before Jesus as a prototype, as a type of what Jesus was going to do. So we perhaps don't have to keep these holy days, although some of them you do keep, like every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're celebrating Passover. And there are spiritual lessons that God gave to the children of Israel. Through these holidays, God was telling something to the people of Israel. So, should we observe this? Well, it's up to you. But at least you should know what was God's message when he gave these holy days to the people of Israel. There's a reason why so many chapters in the Bible are taken up in describing and the commandments to do this. Each of the seven pictures in Leviticus 23, we have a summary of all the festivals of the Lord. We're not going to talk about them all. We're going to talk specifically about the fall feasts of Israel. And the fall feasts of Israel are three holy days that come together, separated one week apart, or ten days apart. Starting with Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets, commonly known as Rosh Hashanah, followed 
Ten days later, by the Day of Atonement, the most sacred day in the Jewish calendar. And a week later, we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And last Friday and Saturday were the closing days of the Feast of Tabernacles. So it's very timely that we talk about this. So, what we've got to start with the first one. Rosh Hashanah. And we just started the year 5,784. We have no clue where that number comes from, okay? <laughs> Nobody knows. Every rabbi has a different opinion. You got two Jews, you have three opinions. You have, you have two rabbis, you have five opinions. So they even contradict themselves. You know, uh, so the important is that this is the beginning, the first of these holy days. And these are maintained by all the Jewish people throughout the world. These are holy days that whether you're a practicing Jew or you're not a practicing Jew, you maintain these holy days. Because it's that holy day that keeps you attached to your heritage to the people of Israel. So, Rosh Hashanah, who was a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, is the beginning of a new year, a new cycle. And it's important to understand that these three holidays that start this special time, they all have something, and there is a reason that at the end we're going to bring them all together and see why God, having so many days in the year, bunched together, three, uh, three holy days in Passover, Passover, first fruits, unleavened bread. Three holidays. Then Pentecost stands by itself. Then three, holy, the holiest of the holy days, are the three fall feasts of Israel. So, what is this holy day that God asked the children of Israel to observe? Now, Leviticus 23, verse 2 says, Speak to the Israelites. Now, now who's talking here? The, the Lord himself, right? And he says, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Leviticus 23, we have a summary of these assemblies, these holy convocations. But when you look at this, there are two things I want to point out that jump out. Whose feasts are these? God says, these are my appointed feasts. So, depending on who's inviting, is how serious you take the invitation. Right? I, you know, by God's grace, I'm invited to, to speak, lecture all over. And, you know, last week, a pastor called me on the spot and said, David, can you come and preach uh, next Sunday? He said, well, my first opening is May 18. Okay? So, depending on who is inviting me, I may cancel something and replace something, but we take, we pay attention to which invite. Now, it is God who's telling the people, these are times which I'm asking you to set apart. So don't call them the Jewish holidays. There are not the Jewish holidays. These are God's holy days, which we, now he said, well, David, I'm not Jewish. Well, you've been grafted in. So according to what we read in the Bible, letter to the Romans, you Gentiles are now part of Israel, spiritual Israel. Whether you like it or not, I'm sorry. Paul calls you the wild branches, okay? (laughs) 
So, don't, don't pick on me. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, according to the picture that we see, Paul says, okay, we have the, the church. The, the God which is made of, it's, it's like a tree. And a tree has the roots. And the roots is the Old Testament faith. It's the, the Bible, the revelation of God. From the root comes the trunk. And the trunk is Jesus himself. And from the trunk come the branches. And we are the ones who ought to bear fruit. But God says, well, uh, you, the, the Jewish believers are not the only ones. And some of them have not believed. Therefore, they're cut off. And he's grafting you in. But interesting, you know what a Jewish believer does not get grafted into the church, but it's the other way around. We are grafted into the church. We are part of the church. But you have been grafted into the faith of Israel. So you ought to understand when God is calling you, calling us, calling all of us believers, because God is saying, these are my appointed feasts. But he calls them sacred assemblies. This is not a time to party, okay? There's a reason why God said, take the time. Take the time. Unless you understand that God is calling you. Now, the, it is important to understand that when God calls you, you better pay attention, right? You get an invitation from somebody, you know, if it's, the invitation comes from God, you better attend. This, God says, these are my appointed feasts, which you are going to keep them a secret assembly. Sacred something that is dedicated to the Lord. So these holidays is not a time to just rejoice and do whatever you want. It's a time when we need to reconnect with God. So the first of these holidays is what we call, in the Bible, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. He says in Leviticus 23, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blast. Do not do regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by faith. That's all it says. It's the shortest of all the holidays, the shortest interpretation and explanation of this holiday. We call it the Feast of Trumpets. But it's not the Feast of Trumpets. We call it Rosh Hashanah, or the New Year. But it's not actually a New Year. And there's the, God, the Bible calls it in Hebrew, Yom Teruah. Somebody said, well, it's the day in which we blow the shofar. You heard, you seen the shofar, this ram's horn? Now the ram's horn has four notes. Tekiah, teruah, shavarim, tekiah gadol. And lucky for you, I didn't bring my shofar, otherwise it wouldn't make it sound. Now God calls this festival Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah is one of the sounds of the shofar, and it's an alarm. Whoa. It's a day when God makes the people listen to an alarm. It's a wake-up call. How many of you love to hear that alarm go at 4 o'clock in the morning? We don't like it, but we have to. God says, I'm calling your attention. So it's a wake-up call. So this first festival, what we call Yom Teruah, it's a day that according to Jewish tradition, and all the members who I don't, know, I don't know how many of you were in the Sunday school class when they talk about the teachings of the rabbis. And they had to explain, okay, what's all this? 
and in their teaching say, okay, on this day, why is God saying, you shall sound the alarm? Well, according to the rabbis explained, on this day, Yom Teruah, God judges every man and woman. And on this day, God opens the books of life in heaven. So, for Rosh Hashanah, we don't say to our friends or family, Happy New Year. The greeting is, may your name be written in the book of life. It's a time when all the Jewish people, believers or not, just, just in case, they go to synagogue. And they stand there in prayer all day. Because according to tradition, God will open the books and he will see who is worthy to live with him. If you find that your name is written, if you have lived a righteous life and you committed no sin, or you committed sin and the sins are forgiven, then your name is written in the book of life. So, it's like an audit, a spiritual audit, okay? So let's say, uh, let's say tomorrow, Tuesday, I go home and get a letter from the IRS and says, Mr. Sedaka, get your papers together, you're being audited. Yeah, I'll be jumping on joy. I'm being audited. Now, Jewish people don't rejoice on this day. Because I'm going to be standing before the judge who's going to check if my name, if I'm worth to have my name written in the book of life. Now, is this something extravagant? No. In the book of Revelation, it says, whose name are these? These are the name of those written in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, and all hymn that we used to sing. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. There's a new name written up in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. So on this day, Jewish people go to synagogue hoping that their name is written in the book of life. God is calling your attention. He said, think about your spiritual life. So on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, is when God calls my attention and says, check your life, you're going to be examined. So, how long do you think it takes for me to realize that I've fallen short of God's expectations? Five seconds, right? I know I don't deserve, because the Bible says very clear, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Apostle John writes, he who says that has no sin, he's kidding himself. He's the word deceiving himself. We have all sinned. So, God has the right to raise my name from the book of life. Right? However, because God is a merciful God, God is a righteous God, He doesn't want to delete my name from the book of life. So what He does, He gives me 10 days to think about my spiritual condition. These 10 days, you see, we can speed up a little bit, are called in Judaism. Yom Hatzikarion, the days to remember. Yom Hatim, days of judgment. And we call them Yamin Noarim, the ten days of awe. Every Jew in New York, in Jackson Hole, in Virginia, wherever they are, in Jerusalem, in Kiev, 
For 10 days, there's got to be no potting, and if you're unlikely to be born during those 10 days, there's no birthday, okay? You don't plan anything. 10 days of terror. We call them the 10 days of terror. Because for 10 days, God has given me the time to think. Say, David, examine your life. Because if there's sin in your life, it needs to be forgiven. Otherwise, your name is not going to be written in the book of life. So for 10 days, if you go to New York, if you go to Manhattan, where I lived for 20 years, you see all the big, powerful bankers and stockbrokers, whatever. We don't wear shoes. We wear sandals. We wear suit and everything. But the two things. If we wear a tie, we cut it. As a sign of mourning. Second, we, in, in order to show humility, we don't wear fancy shoes. We wear sandals or tennis shoes. Not these $400 tennis shoes, okay? The, 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 the cheaper ones. Like the old ones, okay? So we're showing that during those 10 days, we go to synagogue and we pray and we ask and we examine ourselves. The 10 days of awe. That's why the greeting for this holiday is to each other, may your name be written in the book of life. If you have a Jewish friend, you're sending him a little note and say, Leshana Tovatikatevu. May your name be written in the book of life. No happy new year, okay? <laughs> then comes Yom Kippur. After the ten days comes the day of atonement. And it's the most sacred of all the holy days. In Leviticus 23 and Leviticus 16, we read the following. And I have to apologize because the slides came a little awkward. I didn't realize that this PowerPoint was prepared in another computer where they have a better background and so on and so forth. Then I transferred the PowerPoint into this laptop and some of the, the background didn't show up. Anyway, at least we can read it. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on exactly the tenth day of the seventh month, that's ten days after the blowing of the shofar, the new year, is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on this same day, for it's a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there's any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he will be cut off from the people. Whoa. God is getting serious here. As for any person who does any work on the same day, that person will be destroyed from among the people. You shall do no work. At least this is going to be a, per, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all the dwelling places, it is going to be a Sabbath of complete rest for you. And you shall humble your, your souls on the ninth day of the month, from the evening to the evening shall be a Sabbath. What is God saying here? You've got to humble yourself because you're going to be, your life is being examined, okay? Uh, you've got to check your life. He gave you 10 days. He gave you 10 days to think about your spiritual condition. But on the 10 days, he says, okay, I gave you 10 days. Now it's, it's, it's enough. Now it's the time. It's the time for other repent, and God is willing to make atonement for you. There's a few things that we need to understand. In the biblical time, what was appointed? It was a day of affliction. The Bible said, you should humble yourself. So, we fast. We fast on the day of atonement. 
we don't do any regular work. It's a day in which we ask for the, if we acknowledge that we have sinned, we ask for the remission of sins. It is in the time of the Bible, biblical times, in the time of the tabernacle and the time of the temple, when the high priest would enter in the Holy of Holiest, the Kadosh Kadoshim. You know the tabernacle and the temple were divided into two sections, right? Actually, there were three sections, but one in the outer yard. But like a porch. Then there was the holy place. We had the table of showbread, something like this size, with the 12 loaves of bread representing each one of the tribes. It was a, 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 an altar with incense. And the incense, the smoke of the incense, represented the prayers that go before God. And there was the candelabra, the famous menorah, a symbol of Israel and nothing else. And there was a veil. And behind the veil, nobody could enter. And there, in that other section, was a small cubicle. It was called the Holy of Holies. In that cubicle was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was like a chest, made of cedar wood, covered in gold, and with cherubims and two angels covering the top of it. The top of that table was called the mercy seat. Inside the ark were the stones written with the Ten Commandments. Some traditions add that also it was added Aaron's rod that budded. That's another beautiful story. And a bowl with manna reminding how God preserved them. But nobody could enter there. Nobody was allowed to enter except the high priest only on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the ritual was so rigorous that the high priest had to leave his house two weeks before. And during temple times, there was a room in the side of the temple where the priest was separated from the people for two weeks. Making sure he didn't touch anything impure, and he was under guard by two members of the Sanhedrin who made sure that the high priest didn't defile himself in any way or shape. When the day of atonement came, finally, he took five baths, three in that room, and two when he walked into the, into the temple area. He put a special robes. And for that day, he had a, he had a robe made with uh, a, something in the, in the border with tinkerbells. With tinkerbells. And according to what we learn, there was also a rope attached to his ankle. You'll come to that in a moment. Because on that day, all the children of Israel had to stand before God. They said, you shall afflict your soul. How did they afflict their souls? By fasting and standing in front of their houses for the whole day while the priest, the high priest, was officiating in the temple. That's how they humbled themselves. How, that's how they punished themselves. How they, you know, suffer. They have to suffer somehow. Now, we just like to suffer, okay? So, uh, but you know, God commanded us to suffer, so we suffer. But on this special day, everybody was watching. And the day started after he took a bath, 
he went and took a goat and he took a bull. And he offered that as a sacrifice for the cleansing of his own sins and those of his household. Then he would take the blood of the animal and he would go and touch everything in the holy and the holy of holy. And he will sprinkle because without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. A principle that was established long ago. He says, the life is in the flesh. Therefore, God appointed the blood to make atonement for us. So, after he did this, he did something else. He will take two goats from the people of Israel. One goat, which we call Hazazel, or scapegoat, he will hold the goat by the head and say, carry the sins of Israel on you. And he will read some other passages and say some prayers. And a man was appointed to carry that goat out in the desert, far away from the people of Israel. All that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. Everybody went its own way by the Lord laid upon him the iniquities of us all. Like a lamb who was taken to the slaughter. So it takes, talks about the second lamb. So that lamb was carried away according to some traditions. The man who took the goat we call it Azazel or the scapegoat. That's what we call it. Scapegoat, okay? That's where we get the, the phrase scapegoat. He will make sure that the goat would die falling into a precipice or a, somewhere so he would not return. When the man returned to the camp, he had to wash himself in order to enter. But then the priest will take the other goat and he made another sacrifice. This time for the sins of Israel. And he will take in a pot, a censer, he will take from the, from the altar of incense some burning coals and mix together with some spices to create a smoke. And with that, and holding the bowl of the blood of the sacrifice, he will enter in the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is called the mercy seat. And then the glory of God will manifest itself. And the reason why he had to bring a, 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 a burning coals with smoke is that he could not see the glory of God. So in order for him not to see the glory of God, created smoke. And if God accepted the offering, it says, the glory of the Lord will come down and atone for the sins of the people. What about the rope? What happened if he entered in the Holy of Holies without having his sins forgiven? He would be struck dead. And if he, that's why the tinker bells. As long as the other priest heard 
that in the Holy of Holies, there were the Tinkerbells, the sound of the Tinkerbells, they knew that the high priest was alive, okay? But what happened when he stopped hearing the Tinkerbells? It meant that he had died, the Lord had killed him. Now, did the Lord ever do that? Yes. Look, even when you read in Leviticus, it says, after God struck death two of Aaron's sons, because they offered a fire that wasn't holy. Now, according to the chronicles that we have, there were many high priests who entered there without having their own sins forgiven. I mean, they couldn't go through the rituals, but in their heart, there was no forgiveness. When he gets struck dead there, who's going to go and pick him up? You couldn't go. So when they stopped hearing the tinkerbells, they... The rope that was tied to his ankles. Somebody would pull the rope and bring the body out. In most cases, you, there was no need for that. After that, he offered a sacrifice. And the day was completed when everything was burned up. All that remained, all the hide and everything was burned up in the altar. Atonement was made for them. Is the day when the nation and the individual had to acknowledge their own sins. It was the blood of the animal that atoned. Because it says there, atonement is made for you. It's a principle here that I cannot atone for my own sins. Now it's interesting that the word has a cell, scapegoat, we got that. What we learn here is that this is a picture of what Jesus does for us. Now, when you consider the word Kippur, it's called, in Hebrew it's called Yom Kippur. Kippur doesn't mean forgiveness. It means covering. Covering. It is the same covering that took place in the Garden of Eden when Adam Adam and Eve sinned. Remember when the Lord told them you can eat of anything, but you don't touch the fruit of that tree? What did they do? They went exactly and took that, Eve first and then Adam. And they realized that they had sinned, and they tried to cover their spiritual and physical nakedness by stitching some fig leaves, right? And they hid themselves from God. And God comes he says, where are you? You know, like a child is know, does know that he's done something wrong. They were hiding from God. He says, well, we hid ourselves because we realized that we had sinned. Who told you that you were sinned? You ate the fruit, didn't you? Yes. And how are you going to fix it now? Well, we made these aprons out of fig leaves. God said, it doesn't work like that. I'm going to cover your nakedness. I will. You sin against me. Therefore, I will be the one to cover for your sins. What does the Lord do? He kills an animal and takes the skin of that animal and lays down the principle that it is God who has to cover and there is somebody has to die. God has the right to take my life away because he created me and if I throw away my life, God has the right to take it away. That's, you know, we joke with our kids, I brought them to this world, you don't behave, I'm going to take you out of this world. 
Well, it's not a joke for God. He had every right, because God loves us. He doesn't do that. So he introduces another principle, that my life can be replaced by something or somebody else's life. What we call substitutionary atonement. God didn't kill Adam and Eve. He could have expelled them from the garden. They did. He could have just destroyed them. But he didn't. He covered their sins. He says in the Bible repeatedly, we do not atone for our sins, but God covers our spiritual nakedness. This is what the Day of Atonement is all about. Jesus is our sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. This holy convocation, this is, you know, in the passage that was read for us today, this is a vision, a picture of things to come. This is what Jesus does for us. So these holy convocations are a type or a foreshadow of what Jesus was going to do for us. So every detail of every holy day has been fulfilled by Jesus. So it is good for us to remember this holy day? Yes, because it's a reminder of what Jesus does for us. What does he do? He carried our sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us so we can be counted the righteousness of God in him. Again, Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Everybody went some way by the Lord, laid upon himself, upon that as a zeal, scapegoat, the iniquities of us all. He carried my sins to the cross. He carried my sins to the cross. The Lord allowed him to die in my place. God loved me so much that he allowed his own son to take my place. I should have been the one dying on that cross because of my sins. He died for our sins. They couldn't find fault in him. Jesus committed no sin. But he was obedient. And he died for your sins. And for my sins. He's our high priest. He's interceding like the high priest interceded for the people of Israel. The Bible says in the letter to the Hebrew. He's our high priest. Interceding for you and for me. Today he's at the right hand of God of the Father. Interceding for me. He's our lawyer. He says The, the, the Bible calls he's our advocate. If we sin, we have a lawyer to represent us in the court of heaven. And that lawyer will say, I'm sorry, he is, you've got to write his name in the book of life because I paid the price for his sins. He's our high priest who intercedes for you and for me. But the Lord says, you are going to do this forever throughout your generations. Well, we've got a problem here. Today we have no priest, we have no temple, we have no sacrifices. So other God, you know, the temple was destroyed in the year 70, right? Shortly after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the temple is destroyed. No more temple. We have just a wall there, a retaining wall, a reminder of that. 
No sacrifices, no priests. But God said, you're going to do this throughout the generations. But the temple was destroyed. And the sacrifices stopped. So think, what could have what happened here? We got a problem, right? If God says you're going to do this throughout the generations, and we can't do it, there are two options. Either the Romans were so powerful that God could not stop them from destroying the temple. Option one. Option two is that the Lord had no further use for the temple as such, or priest, or sacrifices, or altar, because somehow he was going to offer a sacrifice so perfect, so unique, that doesn't have to be repeated ever again. Now let me tell you, I do believe that God is more powerful than the Romans. Therefore, I go with option two. He had a plan by which a sacrifice was made so perfect. The different from in the letter to the Hebrews speaks about that. So perfect that doesn't have to be repeated ever again. The Holy Spirit testifies in the we read in this beautiful promise in Ezekiel. After this, this is the new covenant I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and on their minds I will write them. Then he says, on their sins, on their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Wow. I will remember no more. And there are things in your life that you wish you didn't have to remember. <laughs> I don't know about you, but things in my life I wish I'd never done. I don't think, I don't want to remember them. Isn't that wonderful that God can cast your sins away in such a way that he will not remember your sins anymore. Then we come to the last, the Feast of Tabernacles. Then we rejoice. I don't want to read the whole thing, but the festival of the feast, now that our sins are forgiven, what do we do? The Lord says, now rejoice. No more mourning, no more sadness, rejoice. Now, as we have a commandment to humble ourselves and to suffer, this is a commandment now to rejoice. So the Feast of Tabernacles said, you rejoice. And what do you do? For eight days, you will build a little tent, a little hut called a sukkah. That has to be made of branches. No, nothing steady, nothing solid, not, not attached to the house. You live on those boots made of branches and covered with palm trees, with branches of palm trees, and you sleep and eat there for eight days. And you sing and you rejoice. And it's the feast of ingathering. It's a time to rejoice. It's a time that you're to remember that your sins are forgiven. And it's a time, and yesterday was the last day of this festival. It's called the Festival of Tents. And it's interesting that we do that in today. It was so important in Jesus' time that in the New Testament, doesn't even call it the Feast of Tabernacles. It just calls it the Feast. And everybody was looking forward to that Feast. Because all the families, all the males, had to go to the temple. And the temple was unique. There was no light on the temple at night in regular time. But during the Feast of Tabernacles, the temple was illuminated with huge lamps. And all the people came and they built the little tents around the temple and on the streets of Jerusalem, regularly, Jerusalem had about five to 10,000 people. During the Feast of Tabernacles, about 100,000 people set up their tents 
And, of course, the, the light was the light from the temple. And they rejoiced. And there were two things that marked that day. On the first day, it was a joyful occasion. The priest, and I have a picture here. It's not a genuine photograph. I wasn't there. Uh, the priest had to go. And they divided the priest. And for that day, everybody had to bring a thanksgiving offering. Not a sin offering, but a thanksgiving offering. And the sangre, everybody had to bring a, a, an animal to be sacrificed. Now, you got 100,000 people, and everybody bringing a sacrifice. How many priests do you need? A lot of priests. So every priest of the 30,000 priests, usually in the temple, 90 people served. And of the 30,000 priests, if you were lucky once in your life, you were called by lots, casting lots. You remember the father of John the Baptist? He was lucky enough to be called one day to serve in the temple. So, but that day, everybody was called. And all the priests. The first thing started by dividing the priests into two groups. One group would go to the pool of Shiloam and gather water. And they decorated the altar. And they brought the water to cleanse from the sins of the people. So they would draw water and they came out singing. You see in the second... I know you can see this is a small painting. Uh, this is even done today. You see to the right, that's our genuine photograph of Jewish people today. And they would go to the pool of Shiloh and they tried to get some water to rejoice on, on that day. There's no temple, but still we do rejoice. But what happened in biblical times? Half the, half the priests drew water. And the multitudes of Israelites were singing along. And halfway they met with the other group of priests who were singing. And they met halfway, and they marched together to the temple, followed by the choir of priests, and everybody singing and rejoicing. It was a time to rejoice. You see here, there's another picture, you're going to see it very, very well. I don't know if you can see, it's too small of a detail. But you see the huge pole in the middle? It says, according to rabbinical writings, the light of, they had think, a burning lamp there. Each, each lamp holds five gallons of oil. And see the people on the outside, everybody was looking inside because they were, they were rejoicing and singing. It was a time to rejoice. You see, this is Israel today. That, that was Israel last week. Everybody, you see the, how they build outside? They, 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 you see, those are called the sukkah. Those are the tabernacles. They are made of branches or wood. Okay? This is what we do. This is one an apartment in New York. We build a, a little sukkah. If you don't, have a, you don't have a room, the cities allow you to build a sukkah. Now look at the sukkah on the right, right hand side. That's in one of the parks in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. Do you see the roof? It's made of what? Branches. They gotta fall apart. After eight days, it's gotta fall apart. So we have a lesson here. Jesus goes and he says here in John chapter seven that Jesus made a point, like every Jew, to go to Jerusalem on this feast. And he says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, that would have been Friday in Israel. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, now, this is the first time ever that Jesus is in the temple and he's crying out loud 
to the whole multitude. His brothers said, you know, Jesus, why don't you go to the temple? His own brothers, the brothers in the flesh, say, you claim, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And their own brother says here, uh, why don't you go to Jerusalem and try to do one of your miracles? Perhaps people will believe you. Instead, he said, no, you go ahead, I'll go later. But he go there. And on the last day, we call the Shabbat Shabbaton, Jesus stands up in the temple court and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Why did he choose that day? Because that day the priest stopped from going to the pool of Shiloh to bring water. So Jesus says, you don't need that water. I can give you the water that refers it. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not been glorified. So he takes the last day of this day to preach. You don't need the water come from the priest. I can give you living water. But he does something else. You see here we have a picture of the lamp. You can see a little more detail. There were 12 of these huge lamps. But on that day, the light began to be put out. So everybody began to unpack, take down the little tent, and go to their homes. We have a problem. Jerusalem didn't have street lights. So people began to walk in darkness, finding their way around the narrow streets of Jerusalem. What does Jesus say? Jesus spoke again, and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what is God's intention for putting these holidays together? The blown of the trumpet, an alarm. The day of atonement, cry for forgiveness. And then you rejoice if your sins are forgiven. I think that the linking what holds these together is found in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 when the Lord says come let us reason together the blown of the trumpet call of attention come let us reason together though your sins are like scarlet it doesn't say your sins could be a scarlet or they may be a scarlet or they probably no he says your sins are like scarlet emphasizing that we all have sins They shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So there are a few things that in closing I want to mention here. First of all, God is telling you, do you realize your spiritual condition? And I'm talking to you all. I'm talking to me. God says, come let us reason together. It's one thing we do in church. When God speaks to us through the message, through the singing, through the prayer, that God is telling us, understand, you and I got something to fix. There's a broken relationship that needs to be restored. If you don't understand, let me explain it to you. That's why it says, let us reason together. Because your sins cannot be forgiven until you realize that you have sinned. It's as simple as that. Your God is willing. It says here, if you're willing and obedient, God is saying, let us reason together. 
And my message to you this morning is that God is telling us, stop and consider your relationship with Him. If He were to go into His presence today, is your name written in the book of life? Have your sins been covered by the blood of the Lamb? Perhaps you say, well, I didn't realize. What? That's what the Lord says. Come, let us reason together. And perhaps today is the time when you have to sit down with God and let Him show you the true nature of your spiritual life. It is God who will cover your sins. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we, I love this, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an invitation from God Himself. Let us reason together. It is voluntary. Pastor Tim can do it for you. Your parents cannot do it for you. Your children cannot do it for you. You got to do it yourself. If you are willing and obedient, God is calling you. You can celebrate tabernacles with Him. Enjoy if you are willing and obedient. The closing thought on this day is may your name be written in the book of life. And it's my prayer that our names are written in the book of life. If you have no certainty, I'd like to have a chat with you afterwards. And I'm sure somebody else in the church would like to sit with you because you only need to acknowledge your sins, repent, ask for forgiveness, and the Lord will write your name in the book of life. Let me close with a famous saying, may your name be written in the book of life. Amen. Thank you, David. As we close, let me just close with prayer. Um, Would you join me in prayer? As David was preaching, I thought of the Holy Spirit's words through David that are in Romans chapter 4 when he said this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Are you in that condition of blessed? Not just as we pray, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we just examine yourself. You know, those, like David was talking, that need to really look to the Lord in examination as he has sounded an alarm in your spirit. And if you have sensed that alarm, then we would point you to Jesus. That his sacrifice is a sufficient covering. And you can be in that condition of blessedness. Your sin forgiven. And so as we close, Matt's going to come and lead us in a song. As we close, as David said, I can't save you. David can't save you. Only God can. You must do business with the Lord. And so as we sing...
if you sense in your spirit a need to get right with the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do something difficult. I hardly ever do this. But I'm going to ask you to do something tough. And that is just to walk forward. There's no pressure. We're just going to sing a song. I'm not pressuring anybody. But if you sense in your spirit an alarm today and you need to get it settled and you need to get it right, I'll meet you at the front. Sit down and talk with me, David. Pray together and get that thing settled. May your name be written in the book of life. Bless us, Lord, as we close. I just pray that if there's someone here today that you have raised that alarm in their heart and they don't want to leave here without confronting that and knowing for sure their sin is forgiven. Lord, it would be a wonderful day for all of us for that individual to know their name is written in the book of life. Let's stand together and let's sing.